So I remember uh, this vacation I took with my family to Vermont, and I was pretty young, so I don't, I don't remember all the details about it. Uh, but I do remember, uh, I think we were staying in some timeshare, and close to that, that place we were staying was this stream that you could uh, jump into, people were, would jump into and swim around and all that kind of stuff. So uh, we visited there, it was, it was great, it was fun, I really enjoyed swimming in this stream, and uh, in the stream were these little fish, uh, you know, I guess guppies sort of swimming around in the stream, headed downstream. I'd never swum with wildlife before, and so <laughs> it felt cool to kind of be in the stream and watching these little fish sort of swim around and swim past me. Um, and time came for us to go, and I remember thinking, you know, I want to take a couple of these home with me. Uh, <laughs> I don't know what I was thinking. I don't know. I thought maybe, you know, I'd bring them back and then take them to New Jersey with me. I don't know what I was thinking, but I was thinking, I, I, wanna, I don't want to leave. I want to take a few of these with me. I remember telling my mom what I wanted to do, and my mom looked at me and was like, I don't think that's a good idea. Uh, I was insistent, and in my memory, she kind of shrugged and thought, you know, I don't know what she, she didn't say this, but I can tell she was thinking, looking back now, you know, that boy's going to have to learn the hard way. So, <laughs> so uh, I, I grabbed two or three of the guppies in a little plastic cup, <laughs> brought them back to my place, uh, set them down in the kitchen counter and watched them swimming around. I thought, like, wow, I think I probably named them. These are, these are going to be my fish. Uh, went to bed, woke up the next day, and something strange had happened. <laughs> they were swimming upside down <laughs> on the top of the water. I've never seen that before. I asked my mom, what's going on? And she's like, oh, look, they're, they're dead. <laughs> and I was like, what? There's, there's no way these can be dead. So I took the cup, I swirled it around a bunch. I, I thought they were sleeping, right? And so I, th I think I took one, turned it back, didn't work. <laughs> so I thought, like, this can't be happening. Um, so I, th I thought, you know what, I'll just bring them back to the stream where we were, put them back in the water, that will, that will get them going again. So I <laughs> went back to the stream, poured them back in the water, and I, I remember this so clearly. I watched them, still floating upside down, go downstream out of sight. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, never saw them again. Um, yeah, I don't know if, I learned something, and maybe this is news to you, you can't take fish out of their natural habitat, put them in a plastic cup of still water, keep them overnight, that, that, that will kill them. They'll be gone. Um, but really, the, the bigger thing for me was, was realizing they died, and I couldn't undo it. I couldn't reverse it. I did everything I could to sort of change it, to, to, to make things be different, but but that's the way it is. I couldn't reverse reality because you can't undo death. That's the way it is. And that's true about life in general. If you think about it, all of our lives, we just go in one direction. You can't reverse your life. You just go in one direction, and when death comes, you can't undo it. No matter how much any of us wish we could, want to, things happen, and they continue to happen, and we just keep going. We can't reverse any of those things. Today is April 9th, 2023. You have only one April 9th, 2023 to live. Right? You can't redo this day. We're going to live this day, and then tomorrow will be April 10th, Monday, 2023, and you can't redo that day either. Each day comes and comes and comes. We only go in one direction. We can't reverse it. Any of the decisions or choices that we've made in the past or making right now, that's it. That's what they are. They're locked in place until we come to the end, until... We are carried downstream out of sight. And, you know, as I think about this, the fact that we sort of go in this one direction, 
we have to just accept the life that we live in the direction that it's going. It does make me wonder if we sort of down, this is one of the reasons I think maybe we downplay what the Bible calls this concept of sin. And, and there's a lot of ways of describing sin. But for now, I'll just say, say think of sin as sort of the ways in which uh, we don't do what's right. <laughs> uh, we have choices and habits and attitudes that are wrong. And they're wrong because they aren't what God calls us to. So, for example, uh, we are selfish when God calls us to be generous. We're passive when God calls us to be standing for what's just and right and good. And so, the reality is, um, I think sin is something we, it's hard to accept. We downplay because in this life, we will sin. We will be selfish instead of generous. We'll be passive when we shouldn't be passive. And you can't undo those choices. You can't rewind it. And that, that can be hard to accept. They're just part of your memory, right? They're just part of your life. Life goes in this one direction, and we can't stop it. And that's hard to say. It's hard when you feel that, just knowing that life can be this way. I think what it ends up doing is, I mean, you, and to deal with that reality, some of us sort of get fooled with regret and guilt. Uh, some of us, um, what we want to do is ignore it, right? Uh, others of us want to make excuses for it. It wasn't that bad. Right? We, we use this phrase, I was only human, to explain being selfish or prideful, right? It's a way to sort of just dismiss sort of the hard reality of what that is. Others of us say, well, I'll just do a lot more good things, sort of undo the bad things. We can't undo them. You're just sort of just creating a, a pile up here, right? Trying to have one more than the other. Life goes in one direction. We can't stop it. It eventually ends in death. That's the way it is. But let me ask this question. What if death could be undone? What if all the decisions and choices that you've made, what if it's possible for those things to be rewound? In fact, what if it's possible for your life, whatever your life is, however you lived it, what if it's possible for your life to be redeemed? This morning, church, I want to tell you it's possible. That it can happen. What we Christians celebrate today is the resurrection of Jesus. And that means death can be undone. It means life can be redeemed. A new life is possible for us. One that's free from the power of sin and death. So back at the passage that's not read for us. Matthew chapter 28. It says, but the angel said to the woman, do not be afraid for I know that you seek Jesus who was crucified. He's not here. For he is risen, as he said, come see the place where he lay. Then go quickly and tell his disciples that he is risen from the dead. And behold, he is going before you to Galilee. There you will see him. See, I have told you. So they departed quickly from the tomb with fear and great joy and ran to tell his disciples. And behold, Jesus met them and said, greetings. See, these women disciples came to the tomb and what they were expecting to see is a dead body because dead people stay dead. They believed that back then, we believe that today. That's what happens. Life goes in one direction, we face death, and that's it. It takes an angel coming to tell them, oh, something's different here. The angel tells them this tomb is empty, Jesus is alive, and then Jesus himself appears, risen, and greets them. And it's confirming, again, something that seems entirely unbelievable, and it's meant to be unbelievable. We're seeing something that should not happen something that we don't expect, something that we don't think is possible. But this is the very heart of the Christian message. 
Christ was dead, Jesus was dead, and he came back alive. And what that means then, if that's true, that Jesus rose from the dead, that means death is not a dead end for you. It's not a dead end for any of us. Death itself can be undone. Jesus, because he's the son of God, brings his divine power. And so for all of us, we face death, and it's like this brick wall we're going to hit someday. And Jesus comes to that brick wall and has created a door there. And he says, hey, come this way. <laughs> you don't have to hit this wall. Come follow me and come through the other side where there is life. New life, free from the power of death. You know, George Herbert, uh, the poet, uh, writes how death, for, for all of us, is more like an executioner. It comes and, and, and kills us. That's it. In Jesus, death becomes a gardener. We get buried, but really what death is doing is just planting us. That's all it can do. It's lost its power. On the other side is a better life, is new life. Jesus is the one who does that. Because Jesus is able to undo death, because he has that power to undo death, that means something then for your entire life. All the choices and decisions that have gone along with your life, life. If Jesus has the power to undo death, that means he has the power to undo all those choices, all those decisions, all those habits, all those attitudes. All those things. Jesus can remake us into something brand new. You think back through your life and the times you've been prideful, the times you've been selfish, the times you've had a bad temper, the maybe the times you've been jealous. Think of the bad choices and decisions that just sort of attach yourself to your life and you can't detach it. They're like stains that are there. They're part of your memory. You can't unerase what's happened. Think about the disappointments and the failures and, the, and all those things, the doubts, all those things. Normally, those are things you just have to accept. They're there. They're part of you. And... You do whatever you can to deal with them. Regret, guilt, some of you have various ways to numb yourself to the reality of your life. Jesus comes and with his power gives us new life and he injects his grace and forgiveness into the mix. Do you realize the significance of grace and forgiveness in a life? All the things I just described, Jesus brings grace and forgiveness so that no matter what you've done, no matter what's been done to you, it does not define you. It does not determine you. God's grace and forgiveness in Jesus totally transforms you and gives you a new life that says everything else can be different. Past, present, future. What Jesus is basically saying is, do you trust me? Do you trust me? Do you believe in me? If so, come follow me and I will put my spirit, which is the spirit of God. And the spirit of God comes into people's lives and ensures that grace and forgiveness is there. Grace and forgiveness is there to deal with all your past. Grace and forgiveness is there to deal with whatever you're dealing with in the present. Grace and forgiveness is there to help you know here is what you can deal with. Here's what you can know can help you when the future comes. His grace, his forgiveness, grace and forgiveness is there to make sure that when death comes, it just got to stand out of the way. As you enter into new life with God and with Jesus forever. That is the power of something that is, well, it comes from out of this world. The kind of power of grace and forgiveness to be able to come into lives that seem broken, that seem detached, that seem defined as just going in one direction, and to have it be undone and remade, and to have that now define you. The grace of God and forgiveness of God to give you new life. Because Jesus rose from the dead, new life is possible. It's possible for anyone and everyone in Jesus.
But there's more to say here. Because Jesus rose from the dead, we can also say new community is possible. New community is possible. So I talked about how we have just one life to live. This goes in one direction, and that's it. Um, but also, if you think about this, uh, we also have just sort of one community to be part of, one or communities to be part of, or even a world to be part of. Like, you, you can't, you don't choose the communities you're part of. You don't choose the world that you're in. We just got to accept it. This is the world that I'm in. These are the communities I'm part of. And we know this. The world that we're in, the communities that we're a part of, uh, they're not great. <laughs> a lot of them are filled with inequality. From the very beginning, we've seen ways in which we put people at the center and we put them in a center based on how attractive they are, how intelligent they are, how much money they've got, how much status they've got, where they grew up. <laughs> and we have others on the outside. We have always this system. We look in our world, there's a system of haves and have-nots, liked and the disliked, uh, those with power and the powerless, the good people and the bad people. This is something we have to accept, right? This is the world that we're in. This is the communities that we're part of. The first century was very similar in Jesus' time. There were people who were on the outside, marginalized, looked down, overlooked. One such group in the first century was women. If you looked at women in the first century, I mean, they were always considered lower than men. Families would prefer daughters, or prefer sons rather than daughters. Uh, women weren't uh, encouraged to be uh, to learn or to engage in various sort of types of work. Rabbis were discouraged from teaching women or even speaking to women. Women can be witnesses in court. They weren't allowed to inherit anything. In marriage, a woman was legally considered to be basically the property of their spouse. But notice, you notice what happens in our passage. Jesus rises from the dead, and who's the first group of people he appears to? It's his woman disciples. The men disciples, they're not even there. They got to wait for the woman to come back and they got to depend on them to hear what happened and all the details, right? Jesus intentionally makes sure that it's his woman disciples who are the first to hear from and bear witness to him. Women in the first century, they'd be ignored, not considered the kind of people important enough to represent the most important things. And Jesus reverses that. Every time the story of the resurrection of Jesus is told, these women disciples have to be talked about. They're the most important witnesses because they're the first to see him and to be around him. And you understand, this is basically an exclamation point in what Jesus was about his entire ministry. He was all throughout his ministry, and the resurrection is the exclamation point on this, creating a new world and a new community. He has women as disciples. A teacher like him would never have women as disciples following him around. Jesus has them right in the middle, right among him, present, listening, part of his group, just like everyone else. Kids back then were considered, you stayed on the outside. Like, you kids sitting here, like, back then, you got to stay outside. This is adult time. <laughs> Not with Jesus. Jesus brings the kids to the center, right among the adults. The blind, the leper, the lame, the sick, Jesus doesn't just walk past them. Jesus pauses and stops and listens to them and heals them. And, you know, it's true on both ends. We're looking sort of at the lower ends of society, but Jesus also does things to fix people at the top of society. So the tax collectors were the most wealthy people back then, and people didn't like them because they used their status and money to take advantage of their own people to get wealthy. Jesus talks to them too. He talks to them, and he's around them in such a way that they change. They can't stay the same. 
they get brought into the community, and now they use their power and their money for the benefit of others, for the sake of other people. What's Jesus doing? He's showing a new way to do community. Jesus is showing a world where everyone can be at the center. Jesus is showing a community where instead of the higher and the lowers, the haves and the have-nots, the winners and the losers. You understand, Jesus, in his resurrection, has forged a community where instead of all these differences, here's the most important thing you can say to the people around you. You're my brother and you're my sister. We're a family. That greatness with the community that Jesus is making and the world that Jesus is making is measured not by how much you have or how powerful you are. It's measured by how much you love those around you and how much you serve those around you. What Jesus is showing is that anyone can come to him. You understand that? Anyone. Any person here can come to him. You come to him with your life. You come to him with your world. You come to him with your community. You bring it to him. And you can bring it in front of Jesus and say, hey, Jesus, can you do something with this? Can you redo this? And every single time, here's what Jesus says. I got you. I got you. Give me your life. I don't care what it looks like. Give me your community. I don't care what it is. Give me your marriage. Give me your family. Give me your world. Give it all to me. I want it all. Give it to me, and I got you. I can do something with this. Now, understand, I want to be clear, there's a risk here. You give it to Jesus, and he will take it. <laughs> no take backs. <laughs> right? You give it to Jesus, and he will take it, and he will change it. He will change your life. He will change your world, your community. He will change it. But the promise of the resurrection is that when he gives it back to you, it will be something entirely different, something better. Something where now, where your life seemed empty, and purposeless now has meaning, and it's full of his love. Where you have all these different things that were part of your life that you don't know how to deal with, now attached to your life is grace and forgiveness to meet all those things and say, no, you can't hold him guilty for that. No, you can't push him down for that. No, you can't fill him with doubt or her with questions or suffering and all these things that want to define your life. My grace and forgiveness is enough to meet him and to meet her. Because she belongs to me, he belongs to me where even where death comes, it's got to fall behind. It's got to be a butler ushering you into life with God and community full of his love. You may feel like your life is going in one direction, and I get it. <laughs> There's habits and choices and patterns and relationships that sort of accumulate into your life, and you feel like you're just swimming downstream until one day you turn upside down. <laughs> out of sight. And that is a message that, well, you hear very early on and that you can carry on with you. But this morning, I want, you, I want to invite you to reverse the flow. This morning, I want you to know, I believe there's a man named Jesus who rose from the dead. He's alive. And his power and his message is more than enough to give you new life and new community. It's more than enough to give you new Ways of living and thinking, ways defined not by whatever has come in your past, whatever you're dealing with in the present, whatever you're afraid of in the future. It's defined by him. And what he is about is a grace and forgiveness and love and truth that lasts and it lasts forever. And nothing can get away in that. 
Nothing can get in the way of that. All you have to do is ask him. And Jesus can do the rest. Let me pray for us that we would hear what Jesus has to offer and receive it. Lord, thank you for this time. And thank you for Jesus. And thank you for, um, Lord, uh, really what uh, only you can give. Um, New life and new community. Lord, I, I know, Lord, there's people here, Lord, who maybe have doubts or are certain, Lord, this is just the way it is. Um, it's, it's impossible that something like this can happen. Yet, Lord, uh, for 2,000 years, Lord, people have come and looked at these accounts, have listed these truths, and come to say, no, no it, this can be true. Lord, even if there's people who want it to be true, Lord, help them to see it is true. And, Lord, uh, I do pray for... Lord, lives, Lord, that are defined, Lord, by, by grace and forgiveness, Lord. Lives that are defined by relationships of love. Lives that are defined by those things because they're defined by you, Lord Jesus. Uh, Lord, uh, we've got to give it to you, though. And so I just pray for those who've never taken that step. Uh, Lord, how simple it is, a simple prayer. Lord, I believe, take what I got, and Lord, you got us. Remake us and renew us. For those, Lord God, who who've been traveling with you a long way and are beginning to wonder, well, can this still be true? Or may this Easter Sunday be a reminder, it's still true. Grace and forgiveness have not left their lives. It's still there. Maybe it's been buried under a lot of doubts, uncertainties, or bad decisions. But grace and forgiveness, Lord God, it's like a light that never stops shining. Um, shine it back into their lives. Lord, fill them, Lord. Fill us, fill me back, Lord, with relationships and community defined by your love and your truth. And Lord, may the result be, Lord, a deep sense that we are indeed brand new. Lord, that uh, death itself has been undone. Sin has been vanquished. Lord, and we have a life, Lord, that might have bumps uh, and pauses along the way, uh, but it will ever flow. And Lord, we will flow on and on into your life, new life with you forever. Lord, only you can do this. So we pray um, for your confirmation of this in our hearts, the sealing of it in our souls, until you come again. I pray this in your name. Amen.